Welcome back to the Unanimous Decision Podcast. I am your host, D-Paul. Follow me on Twitter at D-Paul66. Follow the show on Twitter at UDPod. Follow the entire MTR network at, you guess it, the MTR network. You found us. Don't you dare lose us. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe everywhere podcasts are given away for absolutely free. 99. Leave those five-star reviews on iTunes. We'll read them on the air. No matter what they say, they mean about me or my teams. Before I introduce our guest today, I want to say... How are we doing out there, listeners? Deep breath. Relax your shoulders. Have fun for an hour. World's on fire. Not pretending it's not. We're going to have a lot of fun. Because today we've got one of my favorite guests, one of my good friends. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to call you, man. I, honestly, like, I was about to do all this intro about all the stuff you do. I was like, you know what? It's the homie Sam. He's he's <laughs> elevated himself. The homie status. Sam Franco, what's good, baby? Oh man, everything's good right now. You know, we're obviously all living in the in the same world, and you know all the madness <laughs> and everything that's going on in said world right now. But as I've told my girlfriend many times during this quarantine, you know, like we can only concern ourselves with improving what's going on, like you know, inside our you know realm. Obviously, people are going out and, and doing great things, uh, mm-hmm. protesting and things like that. But you know, for, for your own mental health and everything and all that kind of stuff, when, when you're going through something like this, you know, you, you've got to focus on, you know, your, your immediate surroundings as well, you know, and, and making and sure the people around you, you and everybody you go crazy. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that's basically what, you know, I've been trying to do uh, right now, you know, uh, you know, wearing my mask when I go outside and uh, and being as mad about it as everyone else, because, damn it, we live in Atlanta. It's hard to wear a mask when you go outside and it's 100 degrees. But you know what? You got to do it for for your your fellow man. Man, it is. And, and, and it shouldn't be much more complicated than that. But this is not a really podcast. This is this podcast. We're going to talk about something that we never, ever talk about in this podcast. And we're going to go downtown Atlanta. We're going to go to the Mercedes-Benz Megatron's Anus. I mean, whatever it's called. <laughs> and we're going to talk Atlanta United. Sam Franco, you are a co-host of the Mouths of South podcast. This week, big Atlanta United news. They fired their uh, coach. No, it's a skipper. Um, man in charge. Tallest boy. No, it is their manager. They fired their manager. I don't know his name. It doesn't matter because he's working no more. Sam, tell us, what does this mean for Atlanta United? What does this mean for the bubble prospects of the only team that's ever been successful in Atlanta history? Asterisks apply where you see fit. Yeah, so Atlanta United firing Frank DeBoer. And I'll throw another uh, you know, soccer guy term out of there at you. A gaffer. Uh, that's what they call them in England. So uh, I'm writing yes, it down. I'm using that next 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 podcast. I'm using it. And I'm not going to cite you. I'm just going to say the gaffer has the yeah. gaffer has been fired. Uh, here's what happened. You know, Atlanta United had such a great initial run when they started as a club in 2017 under manager uh, Gerardo Tata Martino. And quite frankly, when Atlanta United hired the guy, like a lot of people were surprised because this is a guy that had coached Barcelona before. Uh, He had coached Argentina, their national team before. So this is like some of the cream of the crop of world soccer. And he ends up coming to Atlanta uh, to be their manager. But in fairness, he had sort of fallen off. So Atlanta was sort of a resurrection project for him. And and now it's elevated him to being the head coach of the Mexican national team. So sort of that that feel-good sort of comeback story there. And Atlanta United kind of went for that again with Frank DeBoer, the guy they just fired, who they hired after uh, Gerardo Martino left them for the Mexican national team. And it was another kind of, you know, resurrection type project where a guy who had sort of 
fallen on some hard times. He, he had managed some big clubs around the world as well. Uh, when you talk about um, Inter Milan, one of the biggest clubs in Italy. And uh, yeah, he had fallen out of favor and sort of the world soccer eyes. And so Atlanta United scooped him up. And I think the, the 2019 season was, you know, Atlanta United won some trophies, but there was definitely some signs that the team wasn't going to be sort of playing the same way that they had uh, under their old manager. And there was some frustration. There were some players that had spoken out in the media and things like that. And then quite frankly, some of those players uh, going into this season were dealt with. They were either, uh, you know, traded or they were sent to other teams or whatever. So it kind of seemed like the Atlanta United manager, Frank DeBoer, was sort of trying to get the the, the complainers or the, the, the players that kind of questioned his tactics and style. He got them out. Is, and, is, okay, so a quick question about that. So is that atypical? Because we've seen it a lot in other organizations, other other sports, like a football guy, you, you come and you want your guys. Like a new a new GM comes in, that coach is pretty much fired. Is that this or is this more like a um, – a show up because you know there's a there's a line either it's oh i'm trying to get my guys in here or it's i'm so insecure i can't take synthetic opinions well i think the pro I think, I think it's a little bit of both he's a stubborn guy i don't think he liked people questioning his style but the problem is and, and i'm not going to get too like soccer nerd here on you but the the style that he ran the the, the system the formation that he ran was one that probably only about 10 teams in the entire world can run consistently with great success because it requires your players to not only be able to play their position, but to be able to sort of rotate around depending on where other players are on the field. It's basically a a system where you have to be comfortable playing multiple positions. And I think in this league, in MLS, a league that is still way far under some of the best leagues in the world, it's it's sort of the, the, the Michael Jordan complex uh, of people being okay, like, well, why wouldn't Michael in my head? Exactly. And this is a guy and Frank DeBoer who, who had played at Barcelona in his playing career and was a one of the better defenders in the entire world in his heyday. So it's just really hard to to translate that. And and you know you can't be like you know do as I do as I did, not as I say, so to speak. And you know there there was just a bad fit all the way around here. It never seemed like it was going to get better. And after the showing here, I mean, they, they they played in that MLS's back tournament, and they're already back in Atlanta because they played three games, scored no goals, lost all three games, one to nothing. It was just very frustrating to watch. And I think he had not only had he lost the locker room, but, you know, Atlanta United and Arthur Blank, they see this as, a, as them being a big club. And this is the kind of thing that big clubs do. They don't accept these kind of results for, you know, a, a long period of time and to go 0-3 in this tournament and really kind of play like it didn't seem like you were taking it seriously, that was a that was a big problem. So I think Atlanta United I think are, are going to... I think it's intriguing to frame it within the, within the current times. Um, I don't think it's very... It's very Atlanta sports of them to win one and assume that now they're a big-time club. And it's going to be... I think that's the manifestation of the curse you're going to get. Early success, perennial fail. Like, welcome. Welcome to Atlanta Sports Team. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely what could happen here. But I think <laughs> them firing him as early as they did was a sign that they're trying to stop that from happening as right. quickly as right, they right, can. Right. So better so than like Arthur Blank, who for some reason Dan Quinn and I don't uh, talk Thomas Dimitrov are still employed. I, well, I don't want to talk about I know, the, but I'm saying he did this with the soccer team quickly. It's not something he usually does. He's usually a staunchly loyal guy 
that wants to give his coaches ample time, but soccer doesn't really work like that compared to football. So I think it's also him letting the soccer decision makers in his organization make those decisions. Because if this were football, uh, you know, I think Frank DeBoer, if this were the Falcons, yeah, I think Frank DeBoer would still have a job. Thomas Mitchell dresses like a 13-year-old. Um, let's go to another, another league that's actually doing this whole restart thing in a pandemic, which you probably shouldn't be doing, but we're pulling it off anyway. Well, the WNBA, their testing has been quite proactive. They've done a good job. They follow the NBA model, which we'll talk about later in the show. But the WNBA, we noted on this show, we noted it last week, we noticed it in the past. We talk about teams that are on the, or, or organizations on the forefront of the battle for social justice. you got players taking entire careers out of their primes to uh, advocate for uh, innocence projects. You've got um, the players to a, to a woman wearing the Black Lives Matter, wearing the Say Her Name, dedicating their season to Breonna, the memory of Breonna Taylor and her, her fight for justice. You have the players before the first game of the season, Seattle Storm, New York Liberty, walking off the court prior to the uh, national anthem. I know there were some reports that it was during the national anthem and after about 12 hours of Black women getting a lot of abuse, ESPN was like, no, 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 it was before, but you know, it's either here or there. Um, there's really no story here. There's nothing to cover. It's not a topic. I just really wanted to shine a spotlight. And I talked about it last week. The only college basketball I watch is women's basketball. Um, I am here for the WNBA season. I am excited for it. I I, up the, I I turned on my 2K for the first time, probably three weeks of the day, and I had to wait for the uploads for the new WNBA um, updates. And I honestly was very excited about it. So shout out to those women for doing what a lot of people wouldn't do. And uh, a, a, another sport making this push to come back in a pandemic is baseball. And I know what you're saying. Oh, we saw. Well, can, can I stop you real quick, Deepalm, really sure, quickly? Because right. I wanted to say something about the WNBA stuff and, and sort of not pat myself on the back, but but pat my employer on the back. Because you mentioned those Say Her Name shirts. Uh, there's mm-hmm. also some We Are Breonna Taylor shirts. Those are 100% breaking tea. Breaking tea is supplying those shirts to the WNBA. You can also buy them if you want yourself. But uh, it's just something I'm super proud of working for a company that has uh, gotten with the WNBA there. And, uh, you know, we, they, they asked us to help them out. And, and we uh, any shirt you see, the, uh, the Say Her Name shirts that they're all wearing before the games, those are ours. And so I was, uh, you know, very happy and excited to be a part of that. And, uh, and and to help the WNBA out and, and to see them, you know, take this social justice initiative and, and push it as far as any of these leagues as we've seen. Uh, has they've been, really been the model for it. And really normally this is a sarcastic feature on the show. It's been a while since we've used it. But by God, Sam, put yourself over, kid. <laughs> Had to do it. Had, to, Had do to be it. done. I appreciate the hell out of it. But your other favorite sport is back. Baseball is back. Sam, who I once watched on video do the opening – Lineup for the Atlanta Bravos. God bless you. Um, baseball's back. And before we get into all the should baseball be back and what's going to look like while it's back in 60 games, holy shit, we got to talk about the crowd noise because I peeked into baseball. I've taken a look, and it turns out they're using the audio from MLB The Show. It's an amazing baseball simulation video game. Chad used to play it with my roommates. I could not believe he opted into playing digital baseball, but that was neither here nor there. Now, the thing that's happening is in each ballpark, there's going to be something called to the effect of a crowd noise coordinator, which means you've got your hands on those buttons because the show, while very immersive, is largely digitized. So the the noises are going to fit what's on the the diamond. Can't do that in real life. Not yet. So these people are in charge of hitting the buttons for the appropriate noises. Sam, I ask you, 
if I am a home pitcher and I go up a home run, a, a soaring home run, and we get that, oh, I get that noise, like I may fight a a, a, a noise person, an audio guy. We may have to get yeah. we have to square yeah, that- And Sam, if they're not paying attention because it is fucking still baseball and it's baseball now without people or like the low murmur of actual movement. So it's going to be even boringer. If there is an audio engineer who's not paying attention and when the opposing team hits a walk-off home run, accidentally hits the hometown sound for that same effect, it's going to be a bad day at the office. And that's, Sam, it's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. It's going to happen. And I mean, you know, you mentioned my day as uh, getting to be the PA announcer for the Braves. Part of my responsibilities that that day, (laughs) part of my responsibilities that day was, was manning the fireworks button. So I know, man, that's what I'm saying. Like I was nervous. Like, and that day, one of the Braves did hit a home run. So I got to hit the fireworks button and uh, yeah, it's a lot of responsibility, but, but taking it to a whole nother level, being responsible for like determining what crowd prompts and noises, you know, you should play. That's very, uh, very hard work. And it's funny too, because, you know, Fox, of course, and their infinite wisdom has taken this to a whole nother level, adding, you know, not just the the 2K or the the MLB, the show sound, but adding the MLB, the show fans essentially to the crowd. And uh, that started yesterday uh, and it looked awful as we all predicted it would look. Uh, It looked very bad. Uh, it's but just it's, very hard think, to get that right. I think if you get used to it and then kind of let it let it settle in the background, let it stop being a feature or a bug, let it be like this is how it's going to work, guys. Sorry, like mm-hmm. yes, yeah. it's not perfect. Like I think because you're right, part of it's a novelty is getting started. You want to show them in the in the stands and like the sad mascots uh, twitters are very funny. Um, but <laughs> I, I think as it gets normal, if we if and this is a huge if, if the season continues, if we're able to full get the season done. I think by the end of it, it'll be less of a, oh, look at where those standings are, and more like, oh, that's how baseball looks now. What's interesting is the both the um the the Blue Jays still have nowhere to play. They're not that's true. In Canada because they're spending too much time south of the line, and uh, that is a level of incompetence that I did not foresee. I, I, baseball, I thought was going to be incompetent. One of your teams not having a home stadium is a level of incompetence that I really want. Chef's kiss. Because normally you'd say, go do it where you do spring training. But then you look at them Florida numbers and you're like, wait, why would anyone go to Florida voluntarily? Yeah, it's, this is hard, too. It's, it's a really it's hard, hard situation because, like, when you have a league that has teams in multiple countries – of course, the countries are going to be dealing with this stuff differently. And Canada has dealt with the uh, COVID-19 outbreak way better than the United States. Although, to be fair, you would be hard-pressed to find any country that dealt with it worse uh, than the United States did. But for these Canadian teams to, you know, and I guess now the only one left in the Major League Baseball is the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, they used to have more mm-hmm. in Montreal. But for that to happen to them, you know, it looks like they're going to settle in Buffalo here, uh, which I guess makes sense because we've seen the Bills and, and Toronto kind of have some flirtations over the years. Right, right. And the uh, the Blue Jays AAA team, uh, the, I think they're called the Buffalo Bisons, are in uh, Buffalo as well. But they, it has created some really cool, like, hey, we should change the name to this or change the name to that. I think for this year, they should be the Buffalo Wings. Like, I mean, it makes sense. You know, you go from Blue Jays to Buffalo Wings and you're good to go. I wish I hated it more than I do. Um, yeah, this could be a weird baseball season because, like, we're looking at things like on the big thing at Fenway, Black Lives Matter, and the responses. Um, Boston fans, 
there's an opportunity to prove how unracist you are with your current quarterback, whom I have my own personal issues with, and what your team has decided to put on that wall. And based on the Twitter replies, you're failing miserably. And personally, part of me wants Cam to be great because I think have y'all having to cheer on that black quarterback would make me happier than anything in the world. I also, he played for Auburn. So if he's bad, fuck him. I don't care. I want to win a win with the Patriots right now. And this shit right here with the Bo Sox, I'm not cheering for him, but I'll tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not not laughing at their fans. This shit, yo, Sam, in public. Like, they are publicly embarrassing the family. Yeah, absolutely they are. And I, I think one thing, too, with Boston is it's, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording. It's a city that is, like, so proud of itself. Like, uh-huh. for its its place in American history and all this stuff. And, you know, I think... uh. The Boston Massacre and Christmas Addicts and like all this. Stuff. I mean, this oh, is no, no. Uh, they don't care about that shit. You know what, Sam? You know what they care well, about? I'm just they care about the idea that your sports team is a personality trait. Well, of course. They well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying I, I'm building to that with the with the steeped in history that the city has, and right. and for them to to be as I guess you know high on their own drama or whatever you want to call it that they are, and then something like this happens, and they're like putting the black lives matter out there that's ridiculous you know stuff like that it's just it's unfortunate because this is an opportunity and i think the sports teams in the city are taking this opportunity because they hear this you know they've had people Mm -hmm. accusing their fans of being racist for years and years and years and i think this is finally an opportunity for them to sort of try to distance themselves as much as possible with this so you have the the red sox doing the black lives matter thing you have the patriots having a uh, an african-american quarterback and one that is is a lightning rod well i'm okay well uh, he's a black quarterback he's he's a lightning rod and that's the thing like like not only are you bringing in like this isn't them bringing in russell wilson you know what i mean this is them bringing in russell wilson out here saying he ain't gonna play because his wife just had a baby like maybe (laughs) okay okay this isn't them bringing in two years ago russell wilson this is them bringing in Cam Newton, like the most like sort of controversial court, and it, it has nothing to do with his skin tone. It has exactly. everything to do with his outfits, his attitude, his stupid the, the, the font that he uses on social attitude, media. The outfits, yes, well, well, yes. The attitude and shit. It, it's always been, it's always been elevated because he's black. It's so wild. That's, like, that's it, it, they're like, Cam's not gonna do the celebration. I'm like, y'all niggas had a Gronk spike meter. The fuck are you talking about? You had you had uh, Tom Brady, let's go! Like, and Cam opens the fake shirt and gives his ball to a child. The fuck? Like, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing that pisses me off about Cam Newton is all these people, especially when he signed with the Patriots. I don't want that guy on my team. He's a bad blah blah blah. Dude, this guy is one of the most charitable players in the entire. Yeah, have you ever heard the teammates say something bad about Cam? No, because ever. that's the thing. Like, he that, might like, have his own. Yeah, he might have his own sort of drama and his own way of dude. doing things. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. But don't for one try to tell me this is a bad dude because he's not. <laughs> or a bad player because I oh, I went back and looked at some cuts from the first half of 2018 before he hurt his foot. We might oh, have a he fucking was, problem. He was getting today. back. Mm-hmm. Damn, we might have a fucking problem. Especially just, with the Patriots. You know, you know Bill Belichick is just salivating at what Josh he can McDaniel do with this guy. drafted Tim Tebow on purpose. This could be a fucking problem, and I'm not, I'm not mentally prepared for it, but it is what it is. <laughs> uh, but even with everything that's happening in Boston, everything that's happening in baseball, the cloud of COVID's still there. Opening day, uh, who was it for um, the the catcher for the Nationals? Oh, excuse me, outfielder. Juan Soto. 
tested positive oh, right before right before uh, five hours for t- uh, first game. And that says, oh, well, you had to sit up. Yeah, cool. He spent the last few weeks with these teammates. This is why it can't work. The bubble works because it's a bubble. These motherfuckers go home. If your city yeah, is that, that, acting right, sure. if your city's not acting right, their kids go to school. Those kids come home. Now, and that's that's why I'm like that's why I'll, I'll yell to the mountaintops that football is not going to happen in this country this year. That's why I'm worried about baseball because baseball did a thing where they kept pushing the negotiations while they had this in their back pocket. They can do whatever they want. And they push it long enough so that they got to the place where they had to do whatever they wanted to get the season going. And yeah, anybody that thinks Rob Manfred didn't know what he was doing, like with, with the delays and things like that, it's like, dude, they weren't. And he even admitted it. They were never going to play more than 60 games. Like it was all, it, there was no negotiation in good faith. Mm-hmm. Baseball, as you said, could ultimately do whatever they wanted. And he ended up right. instituting a 60 game season. So it was all a bunch, it was a fraud. It was a bunch of crap. And it was just like anybody that's invested in baseball, congratulations, you just got played. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with COVID because between COVID and the statements about these teams and these players, and you've seen it, like, um, Bruce Maxwell, the name that people don't know, he was the only player to knew in 2016. And he's the last player to kneel since 2017. And the entire San Francisco Giants staff knelt before their game. One guy didn't. Sam Coonrod or something? I'm not giving that guy air right now. I I know why he didn't. It's fine. Um, And it's just, it's, it's, it's a level of reckoning. Like Cleveland's got to change that name. Atlanta, if I had my druthers, they changed the name, but they're not going to, but they got to take that motherfucking Tomahawk off that Jersey. And guy, I'm older than the Tomahawk on the Jersey. They added 87. I'm older than the chop. Added in 91. Give him shit yeah, Thanks, here. Dion. That shit, shit's racist. It's out of, it was racist when I did it as a child. I didn't know any better. I'm a man who does. I will, I, no. No. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's I, the issue. When you don't know any better, that's one thing. But when you're an I adult. Know, and, I'll say, and I can be wrong when I know better. But as soon as I know better, guess what? The onus is on me to do better. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm, and, and the thing about the Braves is, and Sam, you know this being the Lance, and if people, because they're, what they're going to do is what's going to happen. They're going to stop playing this, the, the thing at the park, but it's going to continue at the park. And then in about so 10 good. years, there'll be a very small section of people at the park doing it, but they will look at them like our embarrassed relatives, which is why I think they change the name altogether. Um, so you away, just divorce because we can't be trusted as a people. Um, the reason it's going to be hard for Landis to divorce it is because it's not tradition in the way that most things are tradition. But you've got to remember, before '91, we were terrible, and so that's very true. <laughs> for I mean, a long you want to talk time, about a team, yeah. I mean, the Braves for I think, a long had a, time. Yeah, they had a little what, burst there where they were okay, but no, they was, yeah. up until '91, yeah, it was terrible. '91's the year things changed, and so there is going to be an element of this is all we got. <laughs> There's no storied Braves history. <laughs> It's just this is all we got. And well, and I think I two people that, that, hold that, that, that 91 season with such like great like emotional it's magic. investment. It's magic. 
so people don't know that the, the a Braves were in NL West at the time, so we played all these games against the Dodgers. And the Dodgers blew, I believe it was a 12-game lead down the stretch after the All-Star break. The Braves came roaring back. It's a wonderful story. Atlantans know it. I remember I had the T-shirts. I was in first grade. Where were you even sit? So the whole catch the fever, the hold on your. I, I, Braves I, win. I Braves up, win. That's it. I grew up on this shit. I'm telling you, it's over. I'm good. Yeah, the yeah, Braves are going to be one. You mentioned this. They're going to be one that takes a little longer to do this. Like Cleveland Indians, there's no defense for that. You know, Chief Wahoo, the red face Indian guy, there's no defense for that. Braves can at least like, try to put We had Nakahoma. I'm out. Let's get it out of here. We did have Nakahoma. And Princess Winalata. Don't forget her. Oh, man, I don't want to bring her up. No one talks about that. <laughs> Everyone knows Nakahoma. No one knows how racist the other one was, too. I'm like, look, I, it's my guys. Atlanta professional baseball history is not great. So let's, when they come for us, nod and step aside, please. Just, I know it won't happen because we still play in a ballpark that you have to cross Lester Maddox Bridge to get to. Google that. Um, But that's what should happen. They should come for us. We should change the name. I still propose Atlanta Flight because the white, it's the only stadium that's actually leaving cities at this point. Well, the, white, the white flight's pretty good. The Atlanta white flight's pretty good. That's not bad. It will never happen. Cobb County. Also... That's why it exists. Look, I I interviewed it. Um, so all these problems with baseball, all that to say, college football's not going to fucking happen. And I love college football. Love college football. Sam loves college football. Sam was the drunkest man in Athens, Georgia, the day of the Notre Dame game last year. Yeah, that's verified. Like That's not like hyperbole, <laughs> by the way. We've done the legwork. We've asked around. Yeah, we um, asked everyone else who was drunk how drunk they were, and, and nobody comes close to me. I was walking around holding a bottle of bullet bourbon. Like I, I was walking around like a handle of bullet bourbon just handing it to people to pull off of. So that remember, tells you a lot. Do you remember what happened when you finished it? I don't. You may have not have spiked it into the trash can of a very crowded uh, family's oriented tailgate. Hell yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they were all – very much uh, enjoying the show. They were very impressed with who's that masked man? Well, that's Sam Franco. Um, Possible's <laughs> not going to happen. They may move to the spring, which means a lot of players are going to play because they've got brains in their heads. It may mean Trevor Lawrence doesn't play. And if he does play, it'll be the second biggest mistake of his life because motherfucking Trevor Lawrence got engaged. And I am a married man who believes in the power of love and believes in the power of the institution of marriage and the power of unity. Hit me with the however, Sam. Just say however for me. However, 20 years old is too young to be engaged to anything, anyone, anything, anyone. 20, yeah, whatever 20 you choose to get engaged to, you shouldn't do it at 20 years old. And guess what? You really shouldn't do it at 20 years old with all that money staring down the pike at you. Oh, and you're going to be the number one overall draft pick in the NFL draft and make tons and tons of cash? Yeah, I totally and, agree. And I'm not, not, and I'm not saying college romance isn't and I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence doesn't love his girl. Both those things can be absolutely true, and I can be absolutely right. Because when money shouldn't change you, fuck that. Money absolutely changes everyone and everything. Remember Russell Wilson's old girl? Me neither, because he's married to Ciara now. Imagine that. Wouldn't you rather skip that step to <laughs> Trevor Lawrence and just get you your own Photo negative Ciara. Wouldn't well, you like, or, or, or maybe, or maybe your own Ciara. I'm not telling you how Trevor Lawrence gets down. I'm not assuming anything of Trevor Lawrence. All I'm saying is 
slow down. This has happened across any sort, not just sport anywhere. I mean, you can go back to, you know, Johnny Cash and June Carter. Uh, quote, Johnny Cash was married before he started hooking up with June Carter. So that's the thing. Like, people forget all of that stuff, like, and they just remember, like, oh, these, like, Hollywood romances or whatever. But this this could be what ha- has ended up happening to Trevor Lawrence. It's like, he, he's done this, and that's great. If he, Like you said, if he loves his girl, wonderful. But we've seen that, you know, like you said, you get, you get a bunch of cash, you start hanging out with celebrities, you start getting on people's radars, and yeah, it just becomes a completely different ballgame. And as much as I hate Derek Jeter, you've got to give the guy credit as the one that kind of laid the blueprint here. And everybody's going to be different. Relationships are going to be what they are. Some people want to get married, some people don't. But Derek Jeter wasn't lying to himself. And I think that is what you, you take from that is that, you know, he's like, look, I, I have the opportunity to live this bachelor lifestyle and I don't want to tie myself down to any one girl because I'm going to have a lot of girls around me at all times. And, you know, he retired and he ended up getting married and that's great. But I think that in this case with Trevor Lawrence, especially when you're at a university like Clemson, where, you know, he is, and without a doubt, the number one thing walking around on that campus, it's, it's just, it's tough. It's going to be tough for him. And I totally agree with you that, you know, this is a bad decision just because you are engaged or whatever. It doesn't really mean anything. And just because you're not engaged doesn't mean you still can't be going out with someone. He didn't need to like make this a definitive thing. They could have still kept going out and not had to get engaged. <laughs> he should have called EC3 and controlled his nair. Um, I like it. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Go to the NFL now because, you know, Trevor Lawrence shouldn't play this spring and he shouldn't get engaged. But he should maybe he'll pump those brakes on getting in bed with one of the dumbest, 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 dumbest organizations in the world. Because there was a large in-mass belief that, hey, COVID came in March. One positive test shuts down the NBA, billion-dollar enterprise, says no thanks. We thought to ourselves, the NFL has enough time. They have enough lead time to make responsible decisions. What's come out is the NFL, who... <clears throat> We've all had that conversation over the last three months. The NFL was told that if everybody act right, we could be back at this shit by the middle of July. And that's what they planned for, because they plan middle of July doesn't really materially affect their plans. And they rolled out with that. We're recording right now on July 26th. Rookies have reported, quarterbacks have reported, I believe bets report to data camp. And the NFL's played a dangerous fucking game here. <clears throat> because their idea was we're not gonna have, you know, protocol. They didn't have protocols in place a week ago for testing, for um facility management, none of it. We're not talking about 20 guys in a bubble. We're talking about 90 guys and not a bubble. And I'll be honest, I would love to see the NFL this year. But common sense, these two eyes and the $20 I've got against Nata tell me this season's not happening starting on time. Because more important than this league starting than the season starting is the season finishing. What you cannot have is a half finished season. And until they get some sort of assurances, that they can achieve that goal, I don't think the season happens. You know what's crazy? They would say that they're going to have, I think it's 18 padded practices before the first full regular season games. Sam, how many grievances do you think this union is about to file ahead of those games? Because guess what? Someone's going to get sick. And if you push this shit forward, same thing I said about college football, someone's going to die. 
Well, I'm not sure about grievances to start just because like it seems like the PA has agreed to whatever like, you know, protocols they put in place. That doesn't mean that they can't go back and file oh, grievances uh, or <clears throat> oh, go ahead. No, I was saying what they what the, so what they've done is they, they've agreed to some put in place, but they're asking for more. What one of the things that's in place for the NFL is they say that after the first two weeks of daily testing, if the infection rate is below five percent, that they will go to every other day testing. Now, fiscally, as we talked about the in, in NBA earlier, this is a it, it's a dry it's a drag, and the owners originally were going to ask for once a week testing because they've got to pay for this, and I think the law of large numbers. It makes this a really, really, really dicey proposition. I think that NFLPA, while I do say at every turn, this should just fucking decertify and let tell the tell the owners and good luck negotiating with each one of us. Um, that there is a class of player who has to play, and I respect that and I understand that. But there's also the realization of a lot of these players that. This is deeper than a check. Like, there's a lot, like, their health is very much at risk in this situation. And it's important to talk about guys who are, by any chart, obese people who have pre-existing conditions. This isn't like um, a back injury or an injury where you hit them some Toradol and keep you out there and play. And I think that's what's been hard for the, the, the leadership and the brass, if you will, the decision makers in the NFL to grasp, is that this isn't one of those things that we can just throw a new coat of paint over and go. It's not like that. This is a serious thing with serious repercussions that we, to be frank, do not know about yet. We do not know. Uh, it's going to affect your whole life. No one can say that confidently. Yeah, I think there's an issue too here because I, th I think on the surface, you just look at it and you're like, well, what's the biggest difference between college and the NFL? And it's that the NFL players are getting paid. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, like, like if, if you want college players to come back like that, like, and, and you're asking them to risk you know, everything for essentially nothing, uh, other than an opportunity to maybe play in the NFL at some point, then yeah, it's a whole different can of worms. Because again, you're you're asking these players to put themselves in harm's way um, just for you know the the it logo on their jersey and increase uh, harm's way too. Exactly. So so college is a completely different discussion. But but you can't even have that normal NFL conversation like that. You can't just say these guys are getting paid or whatever because and they can opt out and still get paid. Well, the list for opting out and still getting paid is extremely small, like in terms yeah. of how you can qualify for that. And even then, you're not going to get your full salary. Um, you know, there, there's some sort of uh, percentage that you get or something. The proration. So, yeah. exactly. So, it's it's not the same thing even in saying that, well, they're getting paid, so they need to play. It's like, well, the, the other, I guess, thing I will say, too, is the level of personal responsibility. Because when you're getting paid then it becomes like a personal decision. But again, it's not really even a personal decision because you're not weighing it, well, I'll get paid either way because you're going to get paid substantially less if you choose to opt out. So it's it's a very strange situation. And like you're saying with the, with the bubbles versus non-bubbles, like the NBA, MLS, WNBA, like they're going to be able to control everything in terms of right. like the, the, the way that the virus comes in and stuff. The NFL, Major League Baseball are not. Even though, like we've seen, uh, you know, we saw Lou Williams go to, go to Magic City. Oh, we're talking. You know, about, don't, you worry. We're Lou. don't you worry about Lou. Yeah, we're gonna get that. But like, don't the, not let Lou Williams. But they can still like quarantine him personally 
and and keep him away from his teammates and not allow whatever decisions he made to impact other people. Bro, he got a ten day pop. Do He's that. basically skipping yeah. this like uh this is preseason bullshit. Yeah. You can't do that with the leagues that aren't in a bubble because mm-hmm. you can't keep cameras on people. You can't monitor their activity and where they are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It gets back to personal responsibility. And if you value, you know, the ability to continue to make this your living and you also value your teammates, because we saw it with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, like yeah, in the NBA, were, they like, weren't speaking for months after that. Exactly. And I mean, that's the thing. There are so many different variables in place here. And the one that they could have, I guess, like, like you could put the NFL in a bubble. You could put Major League Baseball in a bubble or two, but they're not. They're, they're not going to do that, it seems like. And, and I, look, I understand players' unions and all that stuff. Baseball was never going to go into a bubble because that union is so damn strong. They were never going well, to allow also, for that. Also, all the travel, like, it's not going to do baseball in one place. Part of the appeal of the bubble is you're doing everything in one place, and mm-hmm. and it's part. It's the reason it works. NFL was never going to do that. Major League was never going to do that. So without doing that, and plus, it's hard to tell you, hey, we're going to keep you from your family for six months. That's unreasonable. So because I mean, th- these are also people, They're not just automatons for our entertainment. So it's very interesting to see how they pulled or not pulled this off. We'll see what happens there. Last NFL note, or two second to last NFL note, there is one. Um, opt out that I want to talk about. An NFL offensive lineman is opting out because he's also a fucking doctor. He's been working Bravo. on the front lines through this entire thing, and because the offensive lineman is the smartest man on the football field, he's decided to take his talents to the OR and to take care of his fellow man. God bless Laurent Tardif. Um, he is a lineman for the uh, Kansas City football team. The name's going to change too. Um, and I commend him for making the decision. I want to remind everyone, the only MD in the NFL, offensive lineman. Now, last NFL topic is my favorite NFL topic. It is the topic from which this episode is named. The Washington professional football team is now the Washington professional football team. I don't know if Dan Snyder knows that I have never said that team name on the air or ever written on the internet since 2008 and have always been calling it that, or that largely a lot of people have been using that um, nomenclature to refer to them for years, but it feels super funny to me just on like a sheer shattered for type of thing that that one we're now doing the thing that we've been doing for a while sam but two they had no contingency them changing the name was never a real conversation because they had no fallback they had no ideas they had no like they had no test balloons they guess they test ballooned um red tails which <laughs> please stay away from the airmen if you're not going to insult um, the indigenous people so let's just stop using people as mascots washington it's super weird um, yeah, it seems like Red Wolves is the one that I'm seeing get the the most kind of traction, which would be fine. But like the one that see, I wanted to mention real quick, Dan, before ahead. Daniel, before we move on, what do you think about Radskins? No, I hate you. Um, <laughs> I think they've got to dump the colors too. Because if you keep the burgundy, I don't think that's no, happening. I probably not, but I'm telling you, if you want to do a full rebrand, you do. You're saying you need to hit the reset button, is what you're saying. Bro, how much stuff is gonna be grandfathered in on the stadiums or the tailgates? Like you, if you, if you want to be, saying, I see what you're saying. So, so they're gonna keep around. Like you're still gonna see a bunch of Redskins gear. You're, pardon me for saying it. Uh, you're, no, you're still gonna no, see. You're, you're proving a point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're still going to see a bunch of, you know, HTTR, which is, you know, yeah. something that isn't going yeah. anywhere. So I think that's why they're they they would be smart to leave it with an R. Is, is thing. But at the same time, like what you're saying is, and, and I totally get it, if they don't hit that full reset button, you're not getting rid of the majority of the gear that's out there. 
It's the Mike Ehrman Trout no half measures. And oh, well done. We'll see, and we'll see what they do because you got to remember that this all this other stuff came out later that week about Snyder. Is he going to be the man making the change? Like that's and that's another reason you couldn't make a quick one. Yes, it's a billion dollar franchise making a, a billion dollar image change. You couldn't do it in six weeks, so I'm glad they didn't try to force something down our throats. But also the question is, will they, if if Daniel Snyder if these allegations bear out, there's no way Daniel Snyder can be involved in the name of the team. You can't. Um, so we'll see. That's going to be super interesting to watch. I'm big on the NBA bubble. I know I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, we shouldn't be having sports. There are better priorities. I understand that. Fuck that. The NBA is fucking back. How back is the NBA? The NBA is so back. Lou Williams, Stone Mountain legend, Gwinnett Hall of Famer. He decided to come home for a family issue, and he swung by Magic City for some wings. And I know what you're thinking. Deepalm, strip club wings? That shit's crazy. Lou Williams drinking it all for some wings. And as you're listening to this, I'm telling you you're right. Okay? Let me do that right now. You're right. What he did was dumb. Shouldn't have done this. You can't hate on the food, though. That's not the reason. (laughs) However, if you ain't from Atlanta, you need to calm the fuck down about these wings. Listen, he went to a place that had a wing named after him, okay? Like, I'm not going to describe Magic City in that podcast. I will describe how serious this city takes its fucking wings. I can tell you which J.R. Kirkus makes better wings. That's how serious we take our wings here. Oh, I love that place. And the fact that he not only has wings named after Magic City, but was cognizant enough to say, I'm going for the wings. Tells you how Atlanta Will Williams is. So yes, irresponsible, yes. Dumb, yes. But do not, I repeat, do not take some holier than thou task of I would never eat in a strip club. Just means you've never gone to a strip club hungry enough. I'm not a and strip you've club never guy. gone to one that has really good wings. I'm not a strip club guy. Yo, um, we're not gonna get into ranking strip club food in Atlanta. We could. That's another, a different podcast. However. That's the thing. You can always get him to go. He wasn't right, but he wasn't wrong. That's all I'm going to say about Lou Williams. Um, <laughs> going to the Knicks, man. And of all the plans that were bad ones for the Knicks, this is one of them. <laughs> well, here's the thing. What's worse? Because Jason Kidd was the name that was getting a lot of play before they ended up going with Tibbs. So, like, What's worse, Jason Kidd or Thibodeau? Neither of them is a great option. And if you're the eh. Knicks, you know you, you brought in World Wide West, and, and and there was such a like boom right there. People are like, oh yeah, we're finally gonna start doing stuff the right way because we brought in World Wide West. And then you bring in Tom Thibodeau, and you're like, well, they, oh, bring, they brought in World West, and they brought in Leon Rose. He was the rumor early, and, and then the rumor shifted over to Kidd. And my kid thing's always been he's just sharpening a knife to stab Craig Vogel in the back if they don't win the title this year. But You've got to realize that with Thibs, that his his defensive prowess, I use in quotes, was coach. It was in in Boston. He coached Rajon Rondo and Kevin Garnett. That's your defensive prowess. Oh, he's defensive coach in um in 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 Chicago too. He had Jimmy Noah and Rose. The two and a half years he was in Minnesota, defensive rating 27, 27, 24. So, I this is just more Knicks for me. It's a name. It's a splash. Ultimately, signifying nothing because, and I know New York fans don't want to hear this, you're still the fucking Knicks. 
But aren't what, people usually what? excited about a splash though? Like this, this is one where like nobody's excited about it. Bro, how many times you gotta punch me in the face? And I'm like, man, maybe he's not telling me the truth. Like, I think this is more of a collective recognizing the Knicks are full of shit than anything else. <laughs> and Tim's is Absolutely catching up. Like Tim's, Tim's record shouldn't hold up, but it would because we like him. However, he chose the one job that we couldn't make excuses for. It's kind of just reverse brilliant. Speaking of brilliant. I haven't talked a lot about the Hawks on this podcast last year because what are you gonna do? Trey and Jason Collins, maybe when he's not getting proper PEDs. I don't know. Yeah, uh, John Collins. So Whatever. see, you haven't talked it, about the Hawks so much you don't it, even know his name. It's a Collins. It's an it, he wants a max deal too, and he's gonna get it, and it makes me mad. Like I'm already mad at him. And I shouldn't, because it's not my fucking money. And you know, anyway. No, the Hawks shouldn't give him the max. You're right. They're going mad. to, they have to. Who else fuck is gonna pay? You gotta pay someone. Well, maybe you trade him and get Anthony Edwards, but another discussion for another day. Oh, don't. We're not. No one. You're assuming some sort of competent leadership in the, the, the Hawks. Well, that's the issue. Like, this is I like refuse. the biggest home run could be. Like, you've got a guy that's playing down the street at Georgia, and you won a bunch of dumb games at the end of the season to put yourself out of contention to get the number one overall draft pick. So the only way to get that guy, who would be a home run hit, an Atlanta homegrown kid, would be to trade John Collins to get up to that number one pick, and I don't see that happening. It's just Atlanta screwing themselves up, winning meaningless games for no reason. You've also watched too much Georgia basketball, so I think you think the players are better than they are. Um, the Hawks, Georgia, the Hawks, the Hawks neon ridiculousness is now gone. We're going back to the throwback Hawks era. We never should have fucking left. They did this to make us appreciate it, and don't you fuckers blow this for me again. Say, we have seen some ugly shit in our time. Remember the gradient bad boys? Oh, God. Those are awful. Like, these are clean. They're sharp. They look good. Don't change it. We're done. Stop. Full stop. The black alternates, fire. The reds, fire. The whites, let's go. <sighs> Clearly inspired by the Pac-Man logo. I'm happy they're here. I better not see them leave. Please do not offend them to bring back that highlighter horseshit again. I don't understand, like, still, like, when, when they were when they unveiled the jerseys that were the ones with the crappy Volt Green or whatever before, you know, they got to these awesome ones that we're talking about now, like, they unveiled that, and I'm sitting there, like, during the unveil, and I'm like, they're saying that this green that was, like, a throwback to the one that was on the blue and green jersey, like, that's why they're putting it on there, and I'm like, don't introduce an entirely new color when you're like doing a, a brand remake. Like if your colors are red, yellow, right? and white, like just stay with that. Why are you print this stupid green in there? It looked terrible. You know Those little triangles look terrible. Ugh, what's that? The St. Louis jerseys. Yeah, and again, it's they like they're paying homage to the Pistol Pete era. I'm like, look, guys, I don't care. That's what I'm talking about. Like, like, pistol. He got a thing named Pistol. He's good. We're good. Yeah, it's we don't need name. to like pay more homage to that but no you're, you're right though when they unveiled these and at first i thought it might be like a like I, I thought like that um rob perez who i think was the first person to like tweet the mm. the jerseys out like i thought he might be getting duped because they looked a lot like <laughs> skyhawk jerseys from uh the jump man's what sold me because the, the the jordan brand got the uh, jerseys this year right and that's what i'm saying that's what ended up but when i saw him at first i was like yeah. are you sure those aren't just the skyhawks <laughs> jerseys for the college park team because they've had jerseys. that jersey for a while and then more stuff came out well and then more stuff came out and then it looked uh, like this is going to be it and i'm like man these are great i think there's a little bit they, they do look a lot like the houston rockets like mid 90s like jerseys mm-hmm. with that with that color scheme but i don't hate that because those look good and this is getting it's 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 going back 
and also going forward because it's a new look that also just screams classic look and i love every bit of it i cannot wait to buy some of the gear with that stuff branded on it because it looks really good kudos to the hawks which they don't get a lot because they did a good job here sartorially historically failures today champions um last nba story oh, we're gonna be doing nba um like bubble preview sometime in the next week uh, Mike's going to come on. We're going to do awards. We're going to do kind of predictions. I realized that I've forgotten every fucking thing about the NBA, which is super funny. Um, Nikola Jokic apparently looks like uh, Chris Sops now and is running the point, which is very funny. They got bowl bowl. Yeah, he showed up in the bubble looking, looking like he had lost like 100 pounds. I was like, what the I hell mean, happened? I've made a lot of jokes I can't repeat on the podcast about how he looked. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you after we go. <laughs> um, but one of the big things coming out of this is the activation, if you will, of LeBron James's uh, more than a vote uh, initiative. It was formed in 2020 with the goal of energizing black voters and thwarting voter suppression. Uh, one of the big voter uh, ballot initiatives from 2018 in Florida was they were allowing um, felons to be to earn back their right to vote. And then the Republican legislature decided to try to stymie the will of the people by adding in that they had to pay back all their court costs and fines. Um, so the more than a vote initiative has agreed to pay the fines for these uh, outstanding um, people who've paid their due to society and have re-earned their right to vote back and participate in our uh, national uh, pastime. And I, wow. And like watching the ball get rolling of like them saying they're going to do 100K and everyone else like donating. Like it was, we're at a time when we see a lot of the worst of people, Sam. And like, this is one of those things that legitimately like chokes me up. Yeah, no, it's it's good to see. It's it's good to see, you know, when the, when the athletes finally realize the platform that they have. You know, that's something that I, I, I think, think for yeah, that's, that's important too. But more than anything, like yes, to put the using the platform, but like you mentioned earlier, the people in the streets, man. Like I think that's one of the misconceptions about a lot of this is that the the, the people aren't following the athletes' leads. The athletes following the people's, and like. Even this, like, so we've seen so many times, like, I'm giving a $100,000 or I'm giving a million to this and kind of walk away from it. This is an ongoing commitment. And it, I, I don't know. It's one of those things that you're right. They're, they're using their voices, but it feels more than just, it feels measured and precise in a way that it hasn't in the past. Maybe I'm just older and paying more attention. But it, I don't know. It, it, maybe I'm just being, my cynicism is cracking, but it just felt it felt different. It felt empowering. It felt specific and targeted. It said, "Hey, these are this is a direct thing that's happening, and we can directly affect this with just our cold hard cash." And so, um, yeah, means a lot to me, and, and uh, I'm excited to see them out there doing it. And that's the saddest thing is that I'm cheering this on, but it should not be on our wealthiest citizens to make sure democracy works. No, you're absolutely right. But but I do think that, you know, when I talk about like using their platform, I think the difference now is that these athletes are starting to use their platform to put pressure on the organizations and put pressure on the leagues themselves to actually take stances as well. And I think that speaks volumes just as much as any of this. A hundred thousand percent. Sam, I wouldn't let you go without talking a little wrestling. You got a few seconds? Oh, yeah, I, I do. Absolutely. Nice new yeah drop. So we've seen a lot of wrestling happen over the pandemic. We've seen Slammiversary with a lot of returns to TNA. We've seen everything happening at AEW. We've seen WWE. And we've even seen New Japan go back with some arena, um, with some people actually in the stands of the shows. I'm going to ask you a quick question here. Do you have an MVP so far of COVID-era wrestling? 
Yeah, I don't know if you I would. Both, I would like, multiple, say not gonna, I'm not going to pigeonhole. You can give multiple, more than one. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I would say just one person because I think you have to look at all of the different organizations. And when I say that, I mean AEW and I mean WWE is a three-headed monster. When you look at Raw, you look at SmackDown, you look at NXT. Um, I, I'm going to give Orange Cassidy a lot of credit because I think his storyline with Jericho has been something that is, is really captivated audiences. And I also give Orange Cassidy credit because he's doing something that like nobody's ever done before. Like He has his own very, very specific gimmick that you know, I don't think anybody's really gone as, as full into it like as he has. And I've very much enjoyed watching, uh, you know, his matches, in particularly his feud with Jericho that I hope, uh, you know, keeps building and, and gets us a good payoff uh, down the road. But I would say that, that the not just him, because a lot of the folks in AEW are doing really great work uh, in terms of just trying to give people, you know, an alternative to the crap that WWE tries to force down our throats, uh, you know, over and over and over again. So I'll say, you know, I would say Orange Cassidy on that side of things. And then when you jump over to WWE, I think that you've had some people really kind of take advantage of, of sort of bad situations they've been presented with. Um, for example, the Viking Raiders and Street Profits, uh, the sort of back and forth thing that they were doing. I think at first a lot of people were like, why are they doing this? But as it as it kind of gone on and then they let those guys sort of show their creative chops it really picked up and, and it really sort of uh, gave you something to, to be entertained by and, and to really enjoy. So I, I liked what they've done. Um, I also give Drew McIntyre a ton of credit. You know, he wanted this moment to be at WrestleMania where he beats Brock Lesnar and has this huge pop from the crowd, but he's taken this entire situation that we're in and, and really kind of made it work despite not having fans and despite, you know, having to deal with WWE creative and all the crap they will throw at you. So I think we've had a few different people that have sort of helped uh, carry the torch here, so to speak. But admittedly, wrestling has been very strange to watch during mm. all of this. And that's and that's what I wanted to leave with. Like, it's been tough for me. It's been tough for me to watch and get involved in the product. And those fans matter more than I thought. And I wish we could find a half medium of like the pre-1996 fans where they took over shows and like, what we have now. Um, my MVP is too bold. First one's Gato because you ballsy son of a bitch. Yeah. Putting those belts on evil. Like, you crazy son of a bitch. AEW hasn't actually moved me that much, honestly, during the pandemic. Um, I've watched some, but, like, none of the matches really – like, yeah, there's, like, there's stuff and there's excitement. There's reveals and announcements. and But just – I just – the between-the-ring stuff, the between-the-rope stuff has not been married enough for the character stuff for me to resonate. For me, there's only one MVP of all of the pandemic across wrestling. And it's Sasha Banks. It's Ooh, one of those things where they gave her the ball. And like, look, we don't have much star power, but we've got you, goddammit. Charlotte's going to die. What can you do? And all of a sudden, Sasha's on three shows a week. And all of a sudden, she's main eventing each show. <laughs> Wait a second. And when she turns on Bailey, man. Yeah. Woo, I'm so excited. <laughs> like, they did such a good job. It, it's so funny because WWE is one of those things that's so micromanaged. But in the situations where you get, like the um the the week that the uh, Saudi show ran long and they couldn't get out of Saudi Arabia, one of the best SmackDowns ever. When they're forced into a corner, that's when some of the best things happen. They fire Paul Heyman. They reshuffle creative teams. They have to lean on an old vet in Sasha Banks, who was an old vet after three years on the main roster, and she says, "Yo, I got this shit. Yo, matter of fact, let me and Bailey get this shit. They're on a two woman power trip." On screen, off screen, like it, it, it feels like they can do no wrong. I've got Sasha Banks mainlining, main inventing Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. 
it's boss time. God bless her. And she's from Boston, you? so you know we're seeing Boston get a little better with their uh, their sports teams. And you know, it's just it, it, it's you know, it's, it's not only, like Boston. It all follow the blueprint, my friend. The blueprint is right in front of them. Sam Franco, will you do me a huge favor and tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, uh, at Sam J Franco on Twitter, and uh, if you want any more Atlanta United uh, talk, like we started this podcast with. Uh, at MOTS podcast is the Mouths of the South podcast, which I'm a co-host of uh, for Dirty South Soccer at Dirty South SOC. That is part of the SB Nation Network. And also, I mentioned uh, this earlier as well, but uh, the uh, uh, company I work for, Breaking Tea, we are very much involved with the WNBA and their uh, current um you know, social justice initiatives and things like that. So uh, you can uh, head to breakingtea.com if you want to get any of those cool shirts you see the players wearing before the games. Uh, say her name and uh, also uh, we are Brianna Taylor. We're offering both of those uh, for fans to buy as well. So check that out. Yo, those are dope shirts. I buy them and I don't get any discounts, even though Sam's my friend, um, even though I probably should. That was your show. We'll be back later this week, guys. We're doing, uh, Susan and I has finally finished all of the Dave Fioni animated Star Wars shows. So we're going to be talking Clone Wars. We're going to be talking Rebels. And have Mike on and talk NBA bubble talk. And, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time, man. This has been a uh, – thanks for coming on. It's a good hour. Of course. Anytime. Always a pleasure, man. Great to have Sam. That was your show. This is your outro. See you guys next week.